1: E N M. What? (laughs) It's a new set of letters out there. You know, you can find online all kinds of things people are coming up with now, and, and you think, okay, what does that mean? I'm of the generation where I'm still trying to figure out what ASAP means. But E N M is one that I've run across recently, and what does it stand for? Interestingly, ethical non monogamy. Ethical non monogamy? I'm Dr. Joe Beam with Marriage Helper with our CEO, Kimberly Holmes. Kimberly, let's talk just for a moment or two about what ethical would mean. And then let's see why people will be talking about ethical non-monogamy.
0: Yeah, I am believing that ethical in this sense means that there is an agreed upon engagement with this non-monogamy. So it's ethical because we've talked about it. We've made a plan. Both parties are consenting to it and we're moving forward in a non-monogamous arrangement.
1: Okay. And so in that sense, ethics has only to do with what those two people agree on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Correct? And so if I were part of a gang where that we prove our manhood by assassinating somebody, but all of our gang believed that, then the ethics of our gang would be it's okay to kill, right?
0: Are you setting me up for something? No. Yeah. Then yes, I agree.
1: <laughs> no what i'm trying to say is that that they when you start saying ethics has to do with what i believe is mm-hmm. right and wrong mm-hmm. then what happens to culture because If we're going to have any way to exist as a civilization, Mm -hmm. not just as one country, but as a whole world full of countries, and not just within one country, a place, but all the places in that country, then ethics would have to be, what are the sets of rights and wrongs, the sets of rules that the general population can adhere to that causes the greatest good Mm -hmm. and does the least harm? Mm-hmm. And so you're right. The way they're describing it as ethical is because of the fact, well, if I and my wife both agree to it, then it's ethical. Mm-hmm. In other words, she's not getting hurt because she agreed to it. I'm not getting hurt because I agreed to it. Therefore, there's no harm. But that's not true. Even if they both agree to it, it does not mean it, that it's not causing harm. Absolutely. So what kind of things would we talk about if we say, okay, it does cause harm?
0: Well, we, in we batch record these podcasts. The one that we just recorded was the one about the state of divorce. Right. Mm -hmm. And we see that 60% of marriages that end, it's because a feeling it's because of infidelity. Now I I understand right now we're talking about ethical non-monogamy, but how many times do people enter into these open marriages? They have this great idea. We're going to enhance our sex life by Mm -hmm. wife swapping or whatever. We're going to do this and we're both agreeing to it. Mm -hmm. But then it turns into infidelity because Mm -hmm. one of them falls in love with someone else or the kids begin to realize like things aren't actually stable at home. Or what about the other people that they're actually having sex with? And what if, Mm. how are they being hurt by this? Like you're starting to add a lot of people in and then, and then there's this other topic over here, which is men especially tend to be way more protective sexually of their wives and when you look not at this ethical non-monogamy stuff but just in other research that's been done when men's wives end up having affairs sexual affairs with other people the hardest thing for a man to get over is the fact his wife actually had sex with someone else for a wife it's more so the emotional attachment that she fears that her husband might have had with the other woman but for the man it is about the actual act or some men So it's another question I have in this whole ethical non-monogamy thing about how people are actually agreeing to terms and conditions on the front end before they actually know how it's going to affect them and play out in reality.
1: I read a study several years ago, a research project actually done at a Catholic university of all places. You'll understand what I mean when I say that in a moment because these two professors at a Catholic university uh, came out with this research that said that people in open marriages actually have a higher level of marital satisfaction and a higher level of sexual satisfaction. So in essence, their research was saying your marriage would be a whole lot better if you're sleeping with other people. You got to look into the methodology of that research. Uh, Yeah, exactly. And the fact that that two Catholic professors, that doesn't sound true to form here, Mm -hmm. but here's the problem with that. First of all, If you interview people or research people who are in this new lifestyle and they haven't been in it that long, several months, maybe even a year, they're going to have a different kind of scoring than are after that. And so let me explain why. When you think about it, it really comes back to what you understand the sexual relationship to be. Stay with me. If you believe that sex is just about whatever physical sensations and pleasure that you have, then would I mind my spouse getting it other than for me? Well, so if, if she goes to a restaurant and comes back and says, I had a great dessert. It was fantastic. I loved it. You should try it someday. Am I going to be jealous of that? No, I'm glad you enjoyed it. It was about pleasure. You had pleasure. Good for you. But suppose that that restaurant was where we had our first date. Suppose that restaurant has become our special place and that she and I only go there to celebrate wonderful things. And it's just the two of us. We never take any other couples with us. We never meet any other couples there. It's our special place that we share as part of our story, part of our history, part of our shared intimacy with each other. Now the wife comes home and she says, you know that special place that we have just for the two of us? Uh huh. I took my boss there for lunch today. Now, the husband's going to be thinking, wait a minute, that, that place is supposed to be special. It's, it's supposed to be just for us, and, and, and now it's not. It has lost that. If you think of sex as being just for pleasure, then if the wife comes home and says, oh, instead of going to lunch today, the boss and I went to a motel and had sex. If it's only about pleasure, then the husband can say, well, I hope you enjoyed it. But if he sees sex is being a lot more than just about the physical sensations of skin on skin, the physical sensations of orgasm, those kinds of things. That actually is where two people become one. Not just one in body, but in, in soul and in mind and heart and spirit, all those kinds of things. Because this is the place where we are able to say, I am with you, you are with me, I am yours, you are mine. And this is not going to be shared with anybody else because it's who we're supposed to be, the two of us. Now, if you view sex as being that, like this a special bond between two people, it's not just about the physical pleasure, but about the emotional connection, the spiritual connection. And she comes home and says, oh, instead of going to lunch today, the boss and I went to a hotel and had sex. The husband's going to be devastated. You took what is ours, you took what's special for us, you took part of our intimacy, and somebody else got it. And so it really boils down to, what do you think sex is supposed to be? If it's only for pleasure, then you probably don't have much intimacy any other way either. Because by the way we're made, The deepest and most intense way to indicate to the other person, I am one with you and you are one with me, is when there is an emotional connection, a deep emotional connection that occurs in that sexual connection. And that's not something I want to share with somebody else. That's for you. You're for me. We're there. And so it comes down to, Kimberly, in my opinion, that people in our culture who are practicing various forms, and I think there's a dozen different forms of it now, this this so-called ethical non-monogamy are people who don't really understand what truly should occur, can occur, in a sexual relationship that's between two people committed to each other.
0: Hmm. So you think that they weren't taught it? Like they didn't grow up in a home where they experienced it. They don't under, like they don't really know the damage that they're doing is what you're saying.
1: They don't know what they're missing. Yes, uh-huh. absolutely. I remember a young lady that came to one of our workshops with her husband and she was having a lot of trouble controlling her sexuality. Not only was she having multiple affairs, she was masturbating several times a day. Um, what some counselors would call a sex addict, what we in sexology would call compulsivity. And, and as I was asking her, you know, where did this develop? her parents went into an open marriage Mm. and they would bring other people home to their bedroom, which was next door to hers. So here she is going through her formative years, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, hearing through the thin walls, because it was not a well-built house hearing through the thin walls, her parents, all the sounds of all the sex that was going on in there. Could that then corrupt the view that this, little girl has as she grows up, as she reaches puberty, as she starts to become sexual, wow. those sounds begin to eroticize her. So she started masturbating, think just listening to what's happening in the next room. So her view of sex from the beginning, from the outset of her beginning to be an adult, was it's all about as much pleasure as you can get. There are no rules to whatever you want to do. And, and it had totally messed up her life. Not only did she and her husband come to our workshop, her parents then came to our workshop. So yeah, it can happen from the the example. It can be happen. It could, but the example can be just the opposite. You might have a set of parents who never show any affection toward each other. Mm. I mean, they're they're basically roommates and may not even be that polite to each other. Just and they grow up thinking, well, I don't know. I, I know they had to have had sex because I exist. But obviously it doesn't mean much of a connection because it doesn't appear there's much love in this household. So that's the opposite side of it. It can be that. And then there are many parents who won't try to teach their children about sex because of their own embarrassment or their own lack of sexual fulfillment. Or they, they teach their children sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad. Oh, you're getting married tomorrow? Sex is good. And the kids can't make the transition. And so all these different views, but there's only one that's totally fulfilling. Dr. Peggy Kleinplatz, she's a Canadian researcher. I've read two different studies by her uh, with her colleagues, two different sets of colleagues about the difference in great sex and good sex. And if you summarize it, it boils down to an extremely strong emotional connection based on trust that you're not going to try to do anything that's going to make me unhappy. And based on acceptance that I can tell you what I really want, what I really think, what I really feel, that, that basically requires that if you're going to have great sex. It's two people becoming one. Now, if you had a third person, it changes. Or a fourth or a fifth or a sixth. And how many times have we seen in our workshop couples who have been in that lifestyle and as you say, one of them, and it's usually the wife, but one of them finally falls in love with somebody else. And now they've come to us saying, save our marriage. Mm-hmm. I actually asked one couple once uh, back. I talked to them on the phone before they came. This was years ago. I said, are you going to give up that lifestyle? And they said, no. And I said, well, if I were you, I'd save my money. I wouldn't come to our workshop. I wouldn't buy the, pay for the hotel room. I wouldn't pay for the Because if you stay in the lifestyle, it's just going to happen again. Have I been offensive and some of the words I've been using in this program so far.
0: No, we may have to, we have to, may have to it explicit, which is fine. But so the research by Peggy Kleinpatz is, I mean, the results of it sound very similar to even what makes a good marriage. Mm-hmm. So that was specific to a good sex life, sexual satisfaction, but mm-hmm. the trust, the ability to feel like you're going to accept me for me to tell you everything I want. I mean, that makes a
1: good mm-hmm. marriage. That's correct.
0: Why can't you have that with two people? What Three people, like two people, like why, why can't I have that with Rob and another man?
1: How? Yeah, maybe the best way to illustrate it, Mac. I was invited to speak to a, a big group of teenagers out in Washington State years ago. Took your sister, uh, Joanna, with me. She was maybe fourteen at the time. So I go out there, and it was a church event. So they were youth ministers, and youth ministers are ruthless people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And and they called some guy up on stage. Actually, they called three boys up on stage, all of whom had a lot of hair on their arms. And they said, let me explain what it's like to become one with a person. And they took that gray duct tape mm-hmm. and they wrapped it around the arm of one guy.
0: Oh, all the way around All the, the way around. Oh, no. And they say,
1: okay, now you're one with that tape, but what happens if now we're going to give it to somebody? And they yanked it off of him, and he screamed when they yanked oh. that thing off him. And then we had little hairs hanging on it. <laughs> they had to catch the second boy. He was pretty fast. He was moving on. But they caught the second boy, and they tried to put it on him, and it barely stuck, and it would not stick on the third boy. And what they were saying was, this is just an illustration to say, I can't be one with two people. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to be one, it means one. It's you. It's me. We're going to share our hearts. We're going to share physically, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. And as soon as I put another person into that equation, then I'm robbing from you. Mm-hmm. So if for people, for example, who might be uh, biblical, in the Old Testament there's a passage that if a man marries his slave, and then he marries another, now, now she's not a slave anymore, she's a wife, and then he marries another woman, Yeah. that if he does not sexually fulfill the first woman, she can divorce him with no penalty. And what they were saying is, you, you have an obligation and, and how are you going to fulfill that obligation?
0: Okay, but this is, this is a common comment.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Polyamory was allowed in mm-hmm. the Old Testament.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We've even had a YouTube commenter, he'll probably comment on this, who says that we, like if we would just teach that, that the man could have multiple women and be with his affair partner and the wife, like the Bible says, ah. then... Everything in the marriage would be fine. Mm-hmm.
1: Apparently, you know, if we're going to talk Bible and forgive us if that offends you, I certainly don't mean to, but. Uh, or if
0: this is just going to really interest you because you think Christians are crazy, then yeah, tune in. And, and some
1: <laughs> Christians aren't. It, it also says that let the marriage bed be undefiled. Mm-hmm. That's from the New Testament. And Jesus himself was the one who said, if a man lust after another woman, he has violated the covenant with his wife. He used the word adultery. That uh, if you if you lust even after the other person, in the Old Testament, why was there polyamory? Why was there ability for men to have several wives? If you look at it, women were still treated to a degree as property, and because of the of the wars and because of the diseases, they were thousands and maybe millions. I don't know how many people were on the planet back then, more women than there were men. And so to some degree, it was a practical thing. We have to populate our countries, et cetera. And so God allowed it. I don't know that God ever commanded it, but God allowed it. As we got closer to the New Testament era, where where now it was more about relationship, not property, but relationship. It's like don't defile the marriage bed, don't commit adultery, don't lust after somebody else. It's really meant to be two people. And that was the original way back in the beginning that, that Adam and Eve were made to be one. So when Jesus said, you heard that, that you were supposed to be one, but then you started divorcing. And, and the reason you started divorcing was because of the hardness of your heart. Mm. Well, I think to some degree, the polygamy, not polyamory, if Polygamy is you're for the right. one husband. I said the wrong word. And, and was basically, uh, you're not enough for me. I need somebody else. And it could have been, I need more children because I need field hands. It could be, I need more children because of the fact that we can then do more things, et cetera. Et cetera. I don't see super close romantic relationships in many places in the Old Testament. Song of Songs, absolutely. But when Abraham thought that uh, they saw his wife as being attractive, he lied. He said, she's my sister. And and why did, if think about that. If your husband Rob, I mean, you're a beautiful woman. If somebody began to look at you and, and he could see the lecherousness in their eyes and he said, well, she's just my sister, how much would that indicate? What would that say about the intimacy, the relationship you and Rob have?
0: Yeah, that he would be willing to be like, have her. Exactly, for to keep me alive, which is very much the opposite of what would happen.
1: <laughs> You're exactly right, Rob. Rob would die for you, which is no doubt about Well, I was that.
0: thinking he might kill them, but yes, well, I, either
1: way. <laughs> well, I would hope if somebody has to die, I hope it's the other guy. I, right. I'm with you on that, right. but you understand my point, yeah. And so, if this guy wants to post, be like the Bible, okay, don't lust after another woman other than your wife. Don't defile your bed. Be one. And you can't do that with a bunch of different people. And so, and even when they had multiples, look at some of the problems, even back to Abraham again.
0: Yeah.
1: A guy once brought his wife to me and said, I want you to prove to me biblically that I can't have more than one wife. And she's sitting there, he said, because she doesn't agree. I said, I don't have to prove it to you biblically. He said, why not? I said, because she's not going to agree to it. So you might as well forget it right now. It's not going to happen. You're trying to justify by Scripture, and she's looking at you saying, I will not be violated that way.
0: Right. Right. Well, and it's an interesting point, too, which is just because it happened, even if it happened in Scripture, doesn't mean God wanted it that way.
1: He allowed and tolerated some things to occur. As the basic illustration in Scripture is, he treated people way back in the Old Testament more like children. Well, they kind of were. They really were. But think (laughs) about it. How sophisticated could they be? Okay. And then he treats people in the New Testament more like adults. Okay. You've grown up now. So I'm going to change. And the Old Testament, I'm going to tell you, not just the Ten Commandments. There were about 700 commandments altogether. Okay. In the New Testament, it says, now I'm Mm -hmm. writing it on your heart.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: What do you mean? Well, I'm holding you to a different level of accountability. I'm not going to have to give you... Every single rule. Now I want you to be who you're supposed to be, and then you'll do what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm.
0: So, <clears throat> ethical non-monogamy
1: is not ethical.
0: It's not ethical,
1: in my opinion. No, because look what it does to culture. I agree. Culture gets destroyed because people need strong family, and there's no way if if, if Alice were one of my it was one of my wives, and I had others. You, as our daughter, how would you feel about that?
0: It'd be so weird.
1: Mm-hmm. And would you ever look at those other women in a negative way because you'd feel like that your mother was Wasn't not getting, getting special
0: treatment? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: It, it doesn't work. No. Now, if you're saying, yes, it does, we're doing it and we're happy. Two things either you're relatively new into it, or you see sex as only being about pleasure. And not about a true intimate connection.
0: So, what are next steps?
1: Stop. <laughs> I'm I'm thinking that our culture is continuing to get worse. Mm. People have become so felt selfish. It's about me making me happy right now. As I am, as long as I'm happy, everything is okay. So, whatever I do is all right. You have no right to sit in judgment on me at all. And and we have moved continually in my lifetime into more and more anything goes. Yeah, Back when I was a little boy, it would have been unheard of for people to do some of the things they're doing today. And, and the, the way it goes psychologically is this, what used to be forbidden finally becomes tolerated. After it gets tolerated, it becomes the norm. Once it becomes the norm, anybody who speaks against it, is not tolerated. Mm. And you and I are to some degree in that last category. Mm-hmm. People condemn and attack us because we won't accept what has become the norm, because we're all about true love. We're all about commitment. We're all about being there for each other, for your children, your family, having that person you can depend on. And that's not popular, which makes us the kind of people that will they'll judge us as being judgmental because we won't accept the normalcy that they have developed, the so-called normalcy.
0: But we do believe there is hope.
1: Absolutely. And if your spouse says, let's start having sex with other people, we can help. (laughs) But the way we'll help you is by helping your, your marriage to find that intimacy where you need it, because that's really what you're looking for.
0: Yeah, and even if that's where someone is now, where they're listening and saying, "Well, we are in this open marriage, twelve different, whatever it is. That is what we're doing." But I'm truly not fulfilled. Mm-hmm. We can help.
1: I want that one as you've been describing.
0: Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. can absolutely help with that. Mm-hmm. And if that's something you've been craving, something you've been wanting, that maybe haven't admitted to it yourself deep down, then speak with one of our intake specialists. You can go to com slash book now, B-O-O-K-N-O-W. It'll ask you some questions. You can book a time on one of our intake specialists calendar to just have a conversation. And there's no judgment from our team. No, We have people often who are in open marriages that our team talks to and helps move forward into having that true, long-lasting, committed intimacy Mm -hmm. that we've been talking about on today's program. We'll see you next time, but until then, remember, there is always hope.